Pray with me. Father God, this morning, you are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our sacrifice. You're worthy of everything. No, nothing has come to be that you did not speak into existence. None of us of here are our own accord. None of us willed ourselves into your world, but you knit us together. And uh, we give you praise and thanks today. If for nothing else, Father, because we are yours, and uh, that is beautiful, and we hope glorifying to you. May you be honored throughout the service, and may your name be made known in Christ. Amen. We're going to continue our ser- the series this morning in the book of Ephesians and um, just see what God has us for, uh, for us today. Um, I, uh, I want to remind us as we continue in this study, this is an interesting book to look at because we love practical application. I don't know if you're like me, but I like when I get into the Word of God, tell me what I need to do, and I'll go do it. Maybe that's because I'm a guy, right? Um, I, I'll do those things. And, uh, and what's interesting about the book of Ephesians, and I remind you of this last week, is that the opening of the book of Ephesians and the first full three chapters, Paul does not say there's anything that you and I must do. He continually hammers home the point to the church in Ephesus that... The work that is necessary for righteousness before God is finished, right? Matter of fact, we'll recall that when Jesus was hanging on this cross, saving the entire world, he said the word, tadlistai, which means in, in the language, it is complete, nothing more to do. And so Paul, when he writes his letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, he starts off three chapters, half the book, saying, there is nothing more we need to do. It is finished in Christ, and we need to understand that as his followers, as those who are proclaiming his good news. So I'll remind you again that we start that way in this series. It's about the reality of God in our lives. I'm not sure we spend a lot of time thinking about the reality of God because we're so stinking busy, right? I mean, if you think about your week, I've had people say on a Sunday, and this isn't because I'm a pastor, I feel this tension as well. You know, last week, Super Bowl Sunday, right? Everyone had things to go to, and we feel like we just got to shoehorn like God in. We got to fit him into our schedule. Maybe you're like one of those like regular attenders. We check every week, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, as if God is only here. The reality is that we live, breathe, and exist in God's presence. It's a whole different concept. And um, there's no place, the songs we sang today, where can we go to flee from God's presence? Where, you know, psalmist writes things about, you know, whether we're in the highest of heights, you're there. Whether in the lowest of depths, you're there with me. There's, where can I flee from you? You are everywhere. And um, so, Today we're going to spend some time looking at the, uh, a few more verses of Ephesians and talking about some things, I don't know, if we're really aware of in our lives, in our busy, busy lives. I don't think it's unique to our time. I think it's um, been that way for thousands of years. It's just that Twitter and Facebook is the latest iteration of our ridiculous busyness and lack of time for God. Okay, so I don't think we're, we haven't discovered anything new at all. Um, so as we enter into the Word of God, join me in prayer one more time. I'm going to ask God to infuse His Word uh, with knowledge, wisdom, understanding, because only we, can, we can only understand it with His help. Father God, if we open Your Word that You spoke that is um, perfect and beautiful 
and Father, all too often ignored by us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us richly today, not so that we can have more knowledge, but so that we can uh, be more present before you, be in fuller relationship with you. And in all the ways that that happens, uh, we give you praise because we know it's your work in in our midst. And um, for the ways that we continually fail, Father, we repent, we ask forgiveness, and we seek you again. We keep coming back to you because where else would we turn? You have the very words of life, and now we are waiting for them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and open it to the book of Ephesians. Um, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week, Ephesians 9 through 12, we're going to cover today. And uh, we're going to talk about a few kind of principles, or not principles, just kind of like the, some things that you can see. I, I said last week, as the book opens, there's so, much, there's so much packed in here that we spend some time on it. And I hope that uh, you're willing to take this journey with me. But um, there's so many things that are happening all together here, and um, we have to spend a little bit of time unapologetically on those things. Read the word with me today. I'm actually going to, I'll read what we have today. I'm going to back up and read it. It's so, such a short thing. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having predestined according to the plan of those who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And, and those few verses, I'm like, Paul, take a breath. You know what I mean? He just goes when he writes, especially in the book of Ephesians. Um, but I'll remind you, we're coming off this idea that Paul has about the redemption of sins, uh, the redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins, I should say, in Christ. And um, the abundance of his grace that we live in. The ab- abundance of his grace that you and I live and breathe and have our being in. The, the verse actually starts with all wisdom and understanding, again, this idea that God knows what he's doing. But today I wanted to kind of be, you know, start with this idea. We see it right there in, in verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will. And I wonder, church, do we have room for mystery anymore? I mean, are we really open to the concept that there's something about God that is inherently mysterious? We uh, had our family group, first family group meeting this week, and we talked to our family group about the fear of God, about our over-familiarity with him. As if we know all there is to be known about the God who spoke existence. I, I don't know. I think we lose this a little bit in our lives, and I don't know if, if um, we have a place. I think, though, in, in, in our innermost being, in the quiet places of our life and heart, I think that this mystery of God is, is there. I mean, I think that there's a sense of it. I'll tell you where I, I've seen it recently. Um, I don't know if any of you are, like, uh, magic fans. Anybody a magic fan? I had a quarter illustration earlier. Anybody like magic at all? Have you all heard of, like, Mind Freak, the TV show? Mind Freak. Yeah, it's a little weird, right? Have you heard of, like, David Blaine? There's something in our culture that we're drawn 
to mystery. There were times, I, I, I watched the, the show uh, Mind Freak um, for a while, and there were times I would watch stuff, and I would be like, that's not possible. How, how can that even be done? Right? And you start whispering things to your friends who are believers, like, this dude's Satan. <laughs> you know, he's possessed. He went through a glass window. He put on a watch. Did you see that episode where he put the watch onto the glass window? It's crazy. You know, those guys are what they call street magicians. The, the, the David Blaine and, and um, those guys love to come up to people, unsuspecting people every day in their life, and then do something really cool. And, and you, you're having an ordinary life. Like, you're just walking down the sidewalk with your family, going to a meal. You're just doing something ordinary. And somebody comes up and says, hey, can I show you something? And, you know, right away you're like, oh, sure, I, I guess. And they show you something, and your, your whole world changes. Like, you just go, what was that? You know, my, the, the best shots in that show are the reactions of the crowd around them. Because people are like, ah, you know, you see people jumping up and down, getting the heebie-jeebies, you know. They're like, what? I don't know what just happened. They interview people, they got this energy, this excitement. There's just this mystery of life. And it's incredible. I can't do a cool magic trick. I could probably do that one your uncle did. You know, with the gotcha nose, here's a quarter. You know, just barely. Olivia has caught me a few times. You know what's funny, though, about those guys is they, they also say with a wink and a nod, there's no magic. It's an illusion. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, real magic. There was a, there was a, a, a video one time uh, whenever I was watching these things, and I would get really intrigued. How did that work? Do you have a need to know how things work? I was like, how did that work? And I would, I would and YouTube, right? Thank God for YouTube, because you can just play things over and over again, obsessively. <laughs> right? Chris is like, let it go, Bill. I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. There's a trick here. And there was one in particular where there was an elephant in the room. There was an elephant, and they made an elephant disappear. An elephant. That's a pretty big item. So I, I watched and watched, and I figured it out. And I got on the, and I registered just, you know, Google privacy, you know, forget about it. Um, and I registered to, to post a comment that I figured it out. And people were like, dude, you got to ruin it for everybody? Because, see, there's something really that's happening in the mystery. Here, here's a thought for you. I want to read this verse of Scripture again. It says, and God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying that there's something that God has shown us that is so great, and it's been hidden away. It's been secret. It's actually what the word means, right? And I think sometimes of mystery as unknowable. Like, God, you're so mysterious, I could never know you. And I think that's probably true fully. But you know what? The idea here in mystery is not that it's unknowable, but that it's not yet known. Right? In other words, to say this, that whenever these guys do these things, you know, these tricks, these, there's this one guy, what's his name? He's called, um, oh, help me out, the, the, the mask magician. Have you seen the mask magician? He, he secretly reveals all the tricks of the trade. And he has to wear a mask because it's so dangerous. 
because all these magicians would like, you know, really be mad at him. He'd be out of the club. He'd get voted out of the magician's club, supposedly. But he would show you, and you're like, wow, I know how it works. You see, mystery revealed. Paul says here, in speaking of the God of the universe, that there was something in God that was mysterious, that was hidden and in secret. And he says this, read it with me. He says, and God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. It means he has invited us into his reality, into his secret place, into his presence. Having been made known, the word says, the mystery of his will. You know, this is a word that we, I don't know, like, do you want this in your life? Revelation from God? Like, do you really want to know what it means to follow Jesus? Because I think some of us are more comfortable not knowing. Because if we can claim to not understand how it works, we won't have to change anything, right? I think for a lot of us, we just go, eh, I don't know. I can't figure it out. And then we let ourselves right off the hook of having any responsibility in what he has revealed. But it says here that he has made known to us the mystery of his will, right? According to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times of reach are fulfillment. Now, I want to sh show you something with this because the first thing I wanted to talk about was um, this idea of the mystery of his will. But I want to show you something in this, in this verse that I just want to bring your attention to. And if, look at it with me if you would. But in verse 9, here are some core thoughts that Paul communicates. Because this sentence, like, I don't know if you're like me, but it's like, what did he just say? But this is what he says. The mystery of his will, purposed in Christ. And then if you skip, it says, to gather together, all, to bring together all things under one head. And, and Paul's making a case here to say that God's plan all along was to bring everything under his rule and his authority. That this was always his plan for the world. And, uh, and so by skipping, by skipping some of the... Uh, we can do that both ways, by the way. You can reread that and say, He made known to us the mystery of his will, which he purposed in Christ to bring all things in heaven under one head. Or you can read it the other way and say, um, he made uh, known to us the mystery for his good pleasure to be put into effect when the time reached fulfillment. You see what I'm doing there? Because all that together, I'm like, what did he just say? So, so he has this idea of revealing the mystery of God. And I want to say one more thing about mystery, and I want to, I want to move on to, I think, where we're at as a culture these days. And, and that's um, this... Uh, have you ever, because we talked a moment ago about what it means to like encounter someone that you're not expecting on the street, right? You're minding your own business. And somebody shows up and says, hey, you want to see something cool? But I would say to you that God is present like that every day of your life. And I think every day of my life and your life, we're saying, nah, I'm really busy. I don't have time to see it. I don't have time. Have you ever taken a walk with a child? You know, we have blasts in the back. Um, but you have to really, if you get outdoors, if you have, you know, I think this happens to me with, with grandchildren. It happens with children, you know. If you take a walk with a child 
and, and, and you don't have an agenda and you're not dragging them behind you like we got to go somewhere and you walk with them, they are fascinated by the world around them. Have you seen this? They say, hey, come here, look, look at this. And they get down, look at, have you did the ant thing? We talked about ants before, poor ants, magnifying glasses. This is a tragic story. Um, but, but, you know, you look and you're like, hey, look at this. You, you, you get the sense of the wonder of life. You know, we've done a ministry here before called Bike Camp. Bike Camp is a week-long um, bicycling, uh, scriptural engagement, Bible study, worship, packing, feeding. It's just this whole experience of God's presence, and it's overwhelming. And a lot of times we'll do things there where we'll stop, and you start to look in our busy, busy life. You start to look at the wonder of God. And I, I'm not sure that we have time for that every day. I wonder, can we take walks with God like that? Can, you know, we sang about a childlike faith. Can, can we take our Father's hand and just walk with him and just look? Wow. And be amazed, amazed at what we see. I want to read verse 9 again because this is interesting. It says, what he has made known to us, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And, and the second thing I'm wondering is our culture these days. In the age of Google, is there anything that we don't know? Right? I mean, I think we really believe that we know it all. I think our, um, we have no more humility. We have no more respect. We have no more reverence. Because we think we've got it all figured out. And you know, you can ask me any question. I can answer it because I have Google. Right? I mean, you can go to a doctor, get an opinion, and then go home and get a better opinion because you have Google. <laughs> you know? Have you done it? You, you, can, you can wonder um, anything, mysteries of the universe, and then you can go on a search engine and discover the answers. We know everything. As I was thinking and praying this week about what Paul says about the mystery of God that he is revealing to us, I wonder, how does all this knowledge on the planet look to the Creator? I wonder as we cross, you know, I made a joke about, a really bad joke about Google privacy earlier, but you know, they're kind of branching out. Your whole life is on Facebook. Your whole life is on Google. And there's nothing private. Everything is known. But it's all going to work together beautifully. And there's going to be an exchange of data. And we're going to have everything at our fingertips. And you don't have to read books anymore. You don't have to study anymore. I actually went to a pastor's conference. We talked about software. They said, I used to have to study for 40 hours to get this kind of information. And I can get it in three minutes now. And that was like a good thing. And I thought, what's happened? And I wonder whenever God sees it, does it look like a tower? Does it look like the world ascending to the heights of its own arrogance in his presence? God brought to mind the Tower of Babel and how we exist in God's presence, and yet we say, we can get there without him. We, we have our own way. We can find our own direction, our own purpose. Paul here says the opposite is true. He says, in order to get it, God must reveal it to you. In order to know him, you have to be in relationship to him. The, the, there's something that we don't yet 
No. One of the questions that I want to ask people all the time is, is it possible? And I don't mean, is it possible to do great things? I know that's possible. I mean, is it possible there's something that we don't yet know? This affects everything, from our personal relationships to how we view the world. Is it possible that there's still mystery in the world? Looking back at um, uh, this first verse, and we are going to move on, I promise, but it, this idea of the mystery, it means secret, and it doesn't mean secret like, shh, don't tell anybody. It means there's going to come a day that God will teach you something that will shut your mouth and shut your eyes. There will be a truth made known to us in Christ that is so overwhelming that you will become mute and unable to speak because you have nothing to offer. The mystery of God. And this is important because if we, if we believe that we have to always contribute, we have to always be part of his revelation or plan he is not glorified in us. Read on with me. He says, the mystery of his will, this, this absolute shutting of mouths in God's presence, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment. It's that same idea of overwhelming fullness. And all things in heaven and earth will come together for his glory. Under one head, even Christ. All right? So we have a couple of thoughts here. It's starting out mystery and know-it-alls, right? But here's what I want to talk to you about, too. And this is found right there. It says, when all things come together um, in Christ. You know, uh, a lot of times we wonder about our life and we don't have time for the mystery. I've already said that. We don't have time to wait. We don't have time to, 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 to wonder, to long, to to uh, tarry is a biblical word. Do you know, it was interesting, last Sunday was what, was it? Super Bowl Sunday, was that true? Was it only a week ago? Because it seemed like it was a month ago already. Was that last Sunday? We watched the game, as many of you did, and, and I hope you were cheering for the Giants. If you weren't, I'm sorry. Yeah, all right, a few of you were cheering for the Giants. But we watched it, as you did. And one of the most incredible, you know, there's something that my wife loves about football, which is that the last two minutes takes like 40, you know? The two-minute drill, they say. I'm not a football guy, by the way. I like to watch it. I've never played it, so I don't claim to be an expert. But I did catch a most interesting play. At the end of the final drive, a guy tried to stop from scoring the touchdown. Is that what happened? He tried to stop, and he couldn't stop from scoring in the game he's trying to win. And I thought, what is going on? Paul writes here that in God's time, it says, in the fullness of time, he will reveal, according to his good pleasure, when he has purpose in Christ, we put in effect in the fullness of time, in this existing space. And here I was watching this game, I thought, they have this set amount of time to score. And I know what's happening. I mean, I get the logic behind it. It's crazy, though, to try to stop scoring when you're on the field. But, and it almost cost them, right? But, you know, it was just funny to watch someone try to not score. Why would I bring this up to you? Because our life happens in God's timing. We exist right now. Paul says the mystery of God has been revealed in Christ Jesus. 
right? And we are now on the field of God's presence. And he is playing out through his spirit's empowerment the revelation of his truth to the world. That includes you and me if we become believers in Christ. That this is the game time for us. And, and when we're between the goalposts here of God's perfect season, time, he's driving us forward. Does that make sense? I'm saying that we are living in the game time. We are living between the goalposts. There's this idea that God is making himself known to us, his mysteries known. And that's a really cool place to live your life. That's a really cool place to be. Praise God, we live in this time. And, and, and the other thought I want to share here is that it says he is putting everything under Christ, but what it really, the word means here is that it's like there's these two waves. These two waves have been coming in for eternity. God's glory, God's presence have been coming in manifesting and being ready until this moment, Paul says. This isn't time, by the way, like a clock. It's not time like a two-minute clock. It's a season of life right now that we're living in. And it says that these two things are coming together into this beautiful moment to where everything we made known in Christ. It literally means not that he, we are put under him, but that we are being compelled up and hitting the head that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I just, I don't know if, um, if we really appreciate God's timing in our life. If you're like me, you're always like, it's, it's, it's not happening fast enough, or, or I, it's happening too fast, or I, I want to be, I want to, and the truth is I think that right now we are caught up in this tidal wave of God's presence and movement, and he is literally bringing everything together. This is, the, I think, part of the, the problem that we see when we see God moving in different ways, or the same ways in different places, and we get overwhelmed with his presence and what God's doing. I hope you're seeing that in the church. I'm seeing it in the church. Not the little C, this C church only, but in this church and other churches that God is moving in the same way, and he's bringing everything together in this time, and it's been happening for a while, so I'm not saying like in this five years, but it's been happening in this time that all might come under the glory, or under the headship of Christ, okay? So I want you to know a little bit today that in your life, in the season of your life, and in the, the, the timing or the mode, that that's for God's glory, that that's his perfect timing for us. So our life is lived in God's timing, and, and I hope that that, with God's mystery, will give, you some, give us some peace to trust him with what's happening. But here's the last thing I want you to see from this verse, or from this, these two, three verses. It says this, in him we were also chosen. That's the same idea that we had before. Having been predestined, that means, you know, marked off according to the plan of him who knows everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, and that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And I think this is probably something that we don't fully understand. Not only is God mysterious, and not only does he have to reveal truth to us in our lives, but, and not only are we living in his season, right, in his accomplishments in the cross, in this manifestation of his glory. But 
ultimately our entire lives are for God's glory. And that's what Paul says here. In order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, he's talking about himself here, would be for the praise of his glory. And that, friends, runs contrary to everything we believe about our lives. Because ultimately, I believe my life is about me. I believe my life is about what I want or what I need or the gifts I have. And what Paul says is that not only are our lives lived in God's timing, but they're lived for God's glory. Doxa. You know the great thing? There's a doxology, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Have you sung this song? Praise him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We don't sing that here. But there's a reality that our lives are to be manifest for the glory of God, and you and I get indignant, and we say, why? It's my life. What does God need it for? But we've got it all wrong. The reality is, church, that we are not here by our will, our decision, but by God's grace and mercy. And in such, when we live, we live to his glory. Listen to me. I'm talking to you as a preacher of the word today. God is most glorified. You're going to love this when I shut my mouth. Just because you are, that's your job. Glorify God. Just in your breathing every day, you glorify God. Just in the way you're made fearfully and wonderfully and beautifully, you glorify God. And all these things are being pressed up into the head that is Christ. This is the testament of Paul to the church in Ephesus. That you and I, who are the first to hope in Christ, are for the praise of his glory. And so I'm going to wrap up, but I want to ask one question. And this is the question that I've been asking and praying for this week myself. And I'm going to ask you, so I'm not asking something of you that I, wouldn't, I don't think about myself. But it's that. It's this final question is, what is your life about? I mean, what, what, what narrative do you believe about the creation story? What is your life about? Is there room for mystery? There's a reality that God is awesome. And that means like awesome. And this is the place we live our lives under him. Please join me in prayer. Father, today we, we come in here where angels fear to tread into your presence, your holy existence, where every part of us that is sinful burns in fear, terrified because you are so righteous. And today, Father, in your timing and in your way,
you've revealed truth to us of your love. I pray, Father God, that we do not take that lightly. I pray that uh, this week, as we're living our lives, you might manifest your mystery and your glory through us. That we would stand on the same side as the rest of creation, only singing praises and in awe of who you are. We thank you for your spirit's presence. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for the mystery of the word, Tetelestai, that says there's nothing more we can do. We give you praise and glory today. In Christ, amen.